Welcome to the New Masculine Podcast. This is a place where masculine identifying people come together in community to disrupt outdated models of masculinity and together construct new models for our way forward as men. As a special note, while this conversation is between men, this podcast values all beings and seeks to create positive impacts for all. I'm your host, Travis Stock. I am a master life coach, an equus coach, which means I often partner with horses when supporting clients, and I'm a teacher. In my coaching work, I am passionate about the balance of masculine and feminine energies in each of us, regardless of gender. I seek to help others nurture a relationship with both types of energy, which often leads to a greater sense of wholeness. And yet what I found in my work with men is that many of us have been taught messages about what it means to be a man by first teaching us to avoid anything that is associated with the feminine. That avoidance leads to few experiences of intimacy, emotions outside of anger, vulnerability, or even a sense of belonging. Striving to comply with these models of masculinity has many of us feeling isolated, ashamed, unworthy, afraid, angry, and depressed. That's why I started this podcast, to bring men together who are ready for something new, something more whole. My next guest, Taylor Briggs, describes himself as a queer man, a trans man, and a brother. Navigating a world that socialized him as female while actually being male has greatly impacted Taylor's views of masculinity. He's had to explore the differences between gender identity, gender expression, and sexuality, all as it relates to masculinity. From my vantage point, Taylor has a gift for intentionally choosing his relationship to masculinity rather than following pre-programmed narratives about what it means to be a man. Since the box of traditional masculinity doesn't include queer men, I personally delight in the idea of Taylor and I, two queer men, coming together to claim our place in the new masculine. Thank you for joining me, Taylor. Anything else we should know about you before we jump into our conversation? Yeah, I guess um, just a little bit about me. I um, I think what you shared is is absolutely accurate and hits the nail on the head of, of kind of who I am and my relationship to masculinity. Um, but I transitioned, uh, started my medical and social transition um, from female to male. Uh, I believe almost four years ago. Um, so it's definitely been an interesting journey, as you mentioned, to have been raised and socialized as a woman and to now live in the world as a man with all of the uh, expectations that, that come with that. That's such a interesting journey that while I have sympathy of feeling like somebody that is uh, different or otherized or marginalized in the world, or a man that sort of has failed as a man from the moment he walked into this world. <laughs> There's an empathetic piece that is missing for me of, of, of what it's really like to have to tackle gender and gender expression in a much bigger way than just sexuality will take you to. So I'm curious to you, being the person that you are, what does it mean to you to be masculine? That's something that... Um... I feel like I've really struggled with. Um, I, so like I said, I was, I was born, um, and, and spent most of my life as, as a girl and as a woman and was, uh, I think around that their expectations, you know, so even when I was in third, fourth, fifth grade and was playing football and wanted to be wearing boys clothes and all of these things, it was, it just felt natural to me. It just felt like this is what I want to be doing. This is how I have fun. This is how I feel most myself. This is how I feel free. Uh, so masculinity to me, I think always felt like freedom. It always felt like home. Um, but then, you know, as, as we know, there are very strict boxes for both what is feminine and what is masculine so the older I got when I was getting into middle school and getting into high school um, and, and early on in college I really reverted into more of a hyper feminine space um, both in I think how I was acting um, around people who I wanted to impress and wanted to fit in so, so so these masculine and, and feminine 
have always felt like such polar opposites to me. Like I, I could only be one and not the other. Um, but I feel like the farther I've gotten along in my transition, masculinity does feel freeing, but it feels freeing in a different way. I think because I've had both the experience of, of living as a woman and living as a man, I feel much more comfortable now taking pieces of both that feel like they fit, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. I'm really interested in this concept that you brought up about how for a long time there was such a polarity to it. Mm-hmm. And there was, you had to be one or the other. You couldn't find pieces of both that were mm-hmm. beneficial or that made you feel more whole. You had to choose one or the other and that you have spent parts of your life vacillating between the two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, uh, definitely. Um, I think, I mean, for so much of my life, I was, um, even if I didn't fully realize it at the time, I was, I was hiding. Um, so especially when I was, you know, in my middle school, high school, early college years, when I was, you know, kind of operating in this hyper feminine space, um, it felt safer because it felt like I was performing in a way that people expected me to. Like no one was questioning when I was enacting that, that hyper femininity. It, that was just what was expected of me. So it felt easier to be in that space. And I think uh, at the time I had, I had no idea, you know, I was, I just want to fit in. I want to have friends. I want to do what everyone else is doing. So, so in some ways it felt safe and comforting um, until I got to a space where I just, I couldn't do it anymore. Um, it felt I don't know what it was, but I, I feel like I just kind of came to realize, like, this isn't my truth. This isn't really who I am. This doesn't feel right. Um, and so then when I started to explore more, you know, first with my sexuality and realizing that I was not just attracted to men, I was attracted to women and I was attracted to, to people of other genders. Um, I think in that queer space, um, I was finally able to gain what felt like a little more flexibility in my gender expression, presentation, mannerisms. And I realized that I could kind of occupy some of both. Hmm. Yeah. That piece you were sharing around hiding and the ways of staying safe. Um, you, it's interesting how those times around junior high, high school, we become acutely aware of the differences within us and what either makes us, fit in or not, mm-hmm. even if we don't have language for why we're different. I'm curious, when you were in that space of uh, adopting more hyper-feminine energetics and ways of being in the world, were you aware that you were a trans man or a queer man at that point? I wasn't. Um, I think I did have a sense that something was different about me kind of like like you said like I I know I'm a little bit different but I really can't put my finger on what um what it is about me that is that is different you know have I just not found my crowd yet have I I you know it was and that I, I think was the part that felt frustrating and alienating um which I think led me to to like I said kind of enact more of that that hyper femininity to to find a sense of community and a sense of belonging. I remember in in middle school and high school, like wanting to cut my hair shorter and not you know pixie cut or anything real short, but you know just my shoulders or whatever it was. And I remember uh, my stepdad telling me, "Well, if you cut your hair short, then boys won't like you." And I think you, you know, in that middle school and high school space, especially when we're coming into our sexuality, we start to realize that we're not just who we are to be who we are, but society asks us to perform in ways that will find us a partner, will find us companionship and love. Um, and so 
I think those those expectations are even more reinforced kind of in that age demographic. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing how early on um, our culture starts using shame to control us. And mm -hmm. in some ways, it's not necessarily a bad thing. In some ways, it's actually people, parents and adults in our lives trying to do our best to try, trying to do their best to help us succeed or their what they mm -hmm. view as success in the world. But it's so interesting to me how you as an individual in those moments got lost and your ability to explore and find who you really are were lost as a way of trying to make you fit in and belong and to be successful right. in some way or to receive the kind of love that is we're supposed to want which is with the opposite gender and you are just the gender that you are and <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was just gonna say it's uh, my dad and my stepmom all the time now <laughs> will apologize to me for not knowing you know oh we feel so bad like you wore you know you wanted to wear boys clothes when you were young and we should have known you should have known and i was sitting i just always tell them I didn't know. I wish <laughs> I wish I would have known, but I can't blame you for not something for not knowing something that I didn't even see within myself. Um, and I, I think parents really are just doing their best, as you said. You know, they're really only operating with models that have been passed down to them from their parents, and so um, you know, it's so cyclical and intergenerational. And um, I think. To your point too, I think shame gets passed down that way very easily in the, in the same way that, um, you know, it, it's sad, but it's, I feel like it's not something that I can really place blame on my parents for because, because again, they were, they were doing the best that they could. Yeah. Yeah. To me, I always view shame as way more of a systemic issue rather than our individual parents or uh, our, our individual families, even it's like a whole mm -hmm. systemic issue. I think you just look at the way that things are marketed in this world, the way things are, we're taught to be consumers and that we're taught to seek validation externally with from mm -hmm. ourselves. I think it's so easy to embed shame into this culture and to, for, all, for those of us who live in it, to internalize it without even knowing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You were saying that you, before sort of puberty and junior high and high school, you were saying that in many ways masculinity felt like home to you. For that child, what did masculinity mean or what were the things that felt like home to you then? Um, it felt, <laughs> my mom, my mom will even tell me now, uh, she, <laughs> she'll say, you know, you always had a chip on your shoulder when you were young. You know, you always were, well, why can't I do this? Well, why can't I do that? Well, why can't, you know, and I think um, for many young girls and, and young women, it's um, no boys do this and girls do that. And I found freedom in throwing a football around and saying, no, I can do it just as good as you can do it. And um, wrapping my hair up in a baseball cap and being, you know, misread as my brother's brother and, um, just get, you really, you get treated differently. You really mm -hmm. do. And it's not, um, it's not, oh, okay, princess, like, oh, you want to try throwing the ball? It's, all right, buddy, let's do it. And, you know, like, it's, it's a very different way that people engage and interact with you. So it felt, freeing to be seen as someone who was strong and capable and tough and um, I think now with a little bit of a different vantage point I look at those qual or I think about those qualities that I wanted to be valued for and I I see now you know that masculinity is so much more than that and I didn't always have to be tough and I didn't always have to prove something um but at the time it felt like i was being again seen as someone who was capable and qualified and yeah yeah i love hearing that your child mind even though maybe it didn't 
you didn't have the language to describe it like you have now, but in some ways that you were associating masculinity as a child with pushing through and doing things that you were told you weren't allowed to do based on your gender? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I think I did in masculinity feel that freedom to push boundaries and ask questions and I feel like I've always been curious around, well, why can't that person do that thing? Or why, why shouldn't I be allowed to do this, that, or the other? Um, and so for me as a child, that was like, well, I can throw a baseball just as good as any boy and let me show you. And, um, <laughs> it, um, yeah, I think that's always existed in me, but definitely as a child. Well, I'm, I would imagine that trait has served you well, <laughs> navigating the navigating the life that you've had to navigate so far. Yeah, I think it um, definitely fosters um, perseverance and resilience. Uh, transitioning, especially in the early stages of my transition, was was really hard. Um, I was for a long time battling the questions of um, what we're talking about right now. Well, what is masculinity? Do, do I have to transition to be masculine? Can I still identify as a woman and be masculine? Is this about my expression that I'm wanting to be read as masculine or is it really about my identity? And then, you know, after having that internal battle, to then answer those same questions to friends and family and therapists and doctors and <laughs> while still not being fully sure um, for much of that early part of my transition um, because of the shame and because of the those constant questions and not having any or very few accessible models of what it means to be a trans person. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's only been in the last couple of years that we've actually started to see really any trans rep representation in the media, in the world, to actually look to other trans people. Right. It was in uh, middle school or high school that I remember, I think, first hearing the word transgender and it was a people magazine article about the first pregnant man um and it was a oh, trans man yes. yeah <laughs> who you know used to be a beauty pageant queen and had since transitioned and now you know was was pregnant and um it was so sensationalized and it was so um it was the stories were written and really harmful ways about um you know him being deceitful or him being wrong or somehow an ab abomination and um so so even when i was hearing about trans people very minimally as a young person it was never in a positive light it was never something that was presented as as an um an option or as a possibility for someone that could be really healthy and um, just a positive experience for someone. What an interesting thing to look back on from, uh, I think, our now sort of more adult sides to look at how that story was told and how that made that trans man, in some ways, the media portrayed it as less of a man because he was giving birth to a child. Right. And I think about even now, um, I'm, I'm relatively young, but I know that I want to have kids one day and I would like to have, you know, kids biologically to carry a child. Um, but do I want to go through that? And I think unfortunately still have some internalized messaging around, um, would that make me less of a man? to conceive and, and carry a child. Um, and I think that's really sad that those, those stories and narratives are so ingrained um, 
that they're they're even still affecting me and I know plenty of other people in the trans community and trans men. Yeah, it's such a it's such a place that I have my own experiences with, and I think that that sort of internalized fear that I will somehow be a less of a man for any of the choices that I make is embedded in each of us um, mm-hmm. as men growing up in this culture. For me, as a gay man, working through if I uh express femininity in some way does that make me less of a man if i'm vulnerable does that make me less of a man if i don't have a muscular fit body does that make <laughs> me less of a man if i don't engage in sex in certain ways then am i less of a man like that there's always that analysis going on right. for many of us about if i choose what feels important to me or if I choose to follow my own path will that make me less of a man right I wish that I didn't think about those exact things as much as I do um I think about are my hips too wide um will people you know see me and and know that I'm trans um even as we're recording this podcast right now is my voice too high um people know that I'm, you know, had I not come out, would people know that I'm trans? When I'm the little spoon in in, in bed, <laughs> does that mean I'm less of a man? Um, if I'm not, uh, you know, I'm in a relationship with a woman and we, we talk about masculinity frequently as I, you know, express desire. Like I would love to be making more money so I could really, you know, take care, take care of you in different ways. And then we really have to break down, well, why do you feel the need to do that? Do you think that I'm not a self-sufficient, you know, woman who can take care of my own needs? And, well, no, 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 I don't think that. Um, but those, those internalized messages that, uh, I think logically it's easy, it's easier for me to sit back and say, okay, well, I know those things aren't true or I know those things don't make me less of a man. Um, but that's the logical side. And then when you, you think about the emotional side, and I think a lot of the emotional trauma that we as men experience anytime we transgress those boundaries of what is traditionally masculine, those that trauma leaves scars, um, and it's hard to work through those. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. It's that uh, unresolved trauma and the un- ways in which we have been controlled and shamed put the fear in all of us that we will not belong, we will not receive love, we will be cast out, we will have failed. And I think that in the logical sense, we can many of us can see through that, but on a real emotional level, the things that we internalized from really young until now I think that often drives many of us more than we hope it does. I would mm-hmm. guess that's all men, not just queer men. Because I see lots of the men out there in the world feeling pretty boxed in and living in basically two archetypes for that masculine, that masculinity is allowed to sort of embody in this culture, which are protector and provider, as you were saying, mm-hmm. like, I really want to earn money so that I can provide for you. And there's nothing inherently wrong in that, but the pressure of that to be the sole breadwinner or to mm-hmm. provide for everyone or to create safety for everyone. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, is that even possible? And right. I love that you're looking at those things and you have a partner that helps you explore those things. And it's interesting how I think we as queer men uh, are almost forced to have those conversations or are forced to start exploring those things earlier than many men are because mm-hmm. we've already had to sort of acknowledge that we're different. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and already have our own coming out experiences and sort of push through the fear that we've failed in some way. Would you agree that we as queer men in some ways have a little more freedom than maybe a heterosexual cisgender man does? Absolutely. Um, I have found a lot more freedom and, and acceptance in queerness. Um, I think almost all of my 
friends, especially my my close friends, are queer or trans. Um, and I think that's another place where I find home because in the same way that my partner is helping me to explore and push and question, well, what is masculinity in me? Why do you feel that need, you know, to express this certain thing? Um, my friends are doing the same thing. And I feel like those are quest- questions and, and um, conversations that we have quite, quite frequently. I guess in the opposite of that or in a different realm, um, when I spend time with my family and I spend time with my, um, particularly my uncles, um, there's a lot of, Oh, well, you're a man now, so you gotta do this. Or, oh, you're a man now, so you can't wear a shirt with flowers on it. Or you gotta toughen up or, you know, and I, I think because of the position that I'm in where I, I see how masculinity can be done differently, I feel like I can have a little more empathy for that. Um, because it just makes me wonder, like, well, what trauma have you experienced that has led you to feel that way? Did you want to, you know, wear a shirt with flowers on it and we're told that you were a pussy or did you, you know, do something else that transgressed those traditional models of masculinity and, you know, we're called out for it or beaten up for it. And it makes me feel sadness for them because I, I know how hard that can be and how how restrictive that can feel. Yeah. Something I want to point out in all of that that I think is, at least for me, what I personally value in the new masculine or where I think we are headed is in the way that you're able to hold that and express that, that you can have your own experience of the world. You can see and know things for yourself. You can uh, wear the flowery shirt and still be masculine. You can still have your preferences. You can still have the, your gender expression, your own gender identity. And you can also hold that somebody else has a different experience and that you can lean into the empathy piece of trying to understand where they're coming from rather than sort of more what traditional masculinity would lead us to do, which is to uh, either isolate or to dominate. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I've only been out as trans for three and a half, four years now. So it's definitely new territory to navigate, um, particular with, with the older men in my family or, you know, other cisgender straight men in my family and how our relationship has shifted. But I think in some ways, um, me doing masculinity different and kind of showing oh, no, I'm still a man and I do this thing or I'm still a man and I feel this way and, you know, gently pushing back a little bit or at least giving a different model of what it can look like um, in some ways creates a little bit of safety for them to to express insecurity and to express other emotions that I think men aren't often able to express, you know, men, I think are traditionally like, you can express anger, and that's about it. But I think being able to show my vulnerability and to show my empathy and thoughtfulness and care and my kind of the part of me that likes to nurture, um, I think opens up a little bit of space for them to have room for some of that vulnerability as well in particular i think my dad and i have gotten a lot closer um since i've come out and i found i find we have much deeper conversations about hopes and fears and um just a whole lot of of, a space of deeper connection that that I don't think we had been able to have before um, because I think we're just both showing up more authentically now. Yeah. It's my experience with my own father as well as during, after my coming out process that our relationship has only deepened since then. And I love that there are examples out there of when you are able to sort of own who you are and authentically choose who you are, and authentically choose how to express masculinity through yourself, 
it actually opens the door for others to do the same, for them to find their own journey with it, to talk about things that they're actually not often able to talk about with other men. I think one of the biggest problems that I see in masculine culture is there's not really any models for intimacy between men outside of sexuality. Like I think mm-hmm. sort of gay men can do that. And mm-hmm. sometimes there's still challenges there, but that men aren't allowed to explore intimacy and share and be vulnerable and um, talk about their emotions with each other because so quickly, even if it's not actually happening right now in their friendships, there's so many of those memories or those traumas from the past of that's not what it is to be a man. And so you don't do those things because you've been told you're not allowed to do those things. But what you're pointing out is, is that as you've stepped into an authentic expression of yourself, it's actually opened the doors for others. Right. Um, yeah, I see it a lot, um, you know, with my brothers. I I think even, you know, spaces where I see them expressing what I would consider to be unhealthy expressions of masculinity or like I said, you know, those really harmful practices of like, oh, you know, he's such a pussy, he can't do this, or he can't do that, or he's crying, did you see that, you know, and, and shaming or making fun of people for expressions of vulnerability. I think those are moments where I can gently say, come on, no, like, what are you saying? And I have built a relationship where, um, yeah, I think there's that sense of safety to kind of push and, and question each other and be curious about what different models can look like. Um, it's not perfect. And there are moments where, you know, we get into fights and um, have misunderstandings. And of course, you know, there's still a lot of room for growth and in all of us. Um, but I think being willing to lean into those those tougher pieces and model vulnerability and um, being emotionally available can look like and how those relationships can deepen. Yeah. I, I think that's such a, so beautifully said. And I love that that's the path and, or you're sort of demonstrating a path that actually works with other men is, is that, we all have these ways in which we've been restricted and put into boxes. And in coming together and being with each other and modeling vulnerability and being in being okay in the messiness of it all, mm-hmm. that there's healing in that. And there's more freedom in there, is what I hear you saying. There's actually the freedom for everyone to start being more. Right. I um <laughs> I mean I think especially since I've come out as queer and since I've come out as trans, um, all I want to do is to to go deeper. Um, I think I spent so much of my life um, working to appease and please others, um, usually at the expense of of who I truly was inside. And I think it's... um, I'm just over it. It's, it doesn't serve me. It doesn't, uh, feel good. It doesn't make me feel, um, seen and valued in my relationships because when people were saying that they liked me or when they wanted to be my friends, they wanted to be a friend to this person who wasn't really real. Mm. Um, and so I think since coming out and really discovering who I am, Honestly, and this might be blunt, but I just don't have time for the surface level. I don't have time to, to invest in relationships where we, um, we don't go deeper, where we don't talk about what we're really feeling and what our challenges are and what our hopes and dreams and fears, um, are. Obviously, I'm, you don't have to sit about those things, <laughs> sit and talk about those things, you know, all of the time. There can be fun and there can be light and those moments of, of joy and um, lightness are important too. Um, but I think like you said, so many men don't know or haven't been given an opportunity to be really vulnerable and intimate and honest about 
who they are. Um, and I think, like I said before, it, it makes me really sad because I think men have such a capacity to be those things, to be vulnerable and, and intimate. But when you don't feel like you have the space to do that, I think that stuff can boil up inside really easily and create, like we were saying before, a lot of cycles and systems of future harm. Yeah, I love what you're talking about. And it's so such an important point that I want to keep getting across in my work and as a coach in my work in this podcast is that I really get how unsafe it feels to step outside of what you've been given or to step outside of that box or to be vulnerable with someone or to tell someone you're afraid or to acknowledge the deeper things that are there. And yet, it, as you're sharing about your life, as my experience in my life and all the experiences of all the men I've worked with in my coaching business, it doesn't actually, the fears, while I want to validate it and say, yes, I get that it's there, on the other side of it, there's so much more. <laughs> there's so, it's, <laughs> right. it will not be a subtractive experience. It will be right. an additive experience. There will be more freedom. There will be more joy. There will be more laughter there will be more it's not a it's not a subtractive process and i so appreciate you sharing your own experience of how your life has become more the result yeah i think i value my relationships so much more now because i know that they're true and i know that they really like me for me because i'm I am me when I show up. It's not a mask that I put on and obviously not a hundred percent of the time we all wear masks to protect ourselves because vulnerability is scary. Um, but any time that I've gone deeper, it's never been a subtractive experience. Like you're saying, it's always made my life fuller. I think even in intimate partner relationships, like when we, when we are freely giving of, of our love and freely giving of, um, that intimacy, um, even if the relationship doesn't work out, I think you learn so much about who you are. And I think particularly in heterosexual relationships, there's a lot of, playing games and oh I can't say this or I can't say that or um, maybe that's not just heterosexual relationships but yeah, I think it's, it's plen- happens it's plenty all in all relationships, relationships. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think I think for men uh, I don't know I think there's a lot of like oh I have to hold back um, yeah. and I think it's only served me in all of my relationships to just be like this is where I'm at this is what I'm feeling let's talk about it yeah because you actually start to address what's really there rather than putting band-aids on situations or mm-hmm. trying to trying to not address the elephant in the room. Um, right. Something that I really want to draw you out on a little bit more that I think is uh, helpful information in this conversation of masculinity is, can you share with me, both on a personal level, like what your experience has been with, but how you differentiate gender identity versus gender expression? Yeah, I think like I shared a little bit earlier when I was for first coming out, I was really uh, questioning that piece. I, um, you know, I before I transitioned, before I came to the realization that I was trans, I was um, dressing pretty masculinely. My hair was cut short. I was predominantly shopping in the men's department. Um, you know. Pretty masculine. And, and at uh, that time, were you considering yourself a lesbian? Were you considering yourself heterosexual? Like, where were you on your um, own identification journey? At that point, I was identifying as a lesbian. Um, lesbian, I think I used the, que- the word queer um, more frequently, um, knowing that I was predominantly attracted to women, but that I was also interested in still had attraction for men and um, people of, you know, trans identifying people. Um, 
so yeah, I was, I think I, at the time I was saying that I identified as queer, which mm. is still true now. Um, but, uh, I was at a, the point where I was starting to really question and wonder, like, I really want top surgery. I had been binding my chest. Um, uh, I was wearing a binder for about a year and um for anyone who has not worn a binder it is <laughs> a really terrible experience <laughs> um it is like stiff and restrictive and itchy and doesn't really not very breathable and um you're only supposed to wear it for like 12 hours a day um or no eight hours a day but i was wearing it for like 12 to 15 hours a day all just in the hopes of of um you know minimizing the appearance of my breasts as as much as i possibly could and i was like gosh i just cannot do this any longer um it's not healthy my you know i was getting to a point where i feel like i couldn't take a full breath <laughs> just because my ribs were so restricted for so long and you were um, basically corseted but just a little higher <laughs> yes yes it was terrible and it, you know and when I was being intimate with my partners you know I didn't really want to take it off because I wasn't comfortable with my breasts but then that didn't feel very sexy it was just mm -hmm. a whole lot happening um and so I was talking with one of my friends um right who was a trans man and I was like you know I've really been considering top surgery but I don't know what that means for my gender like I just I don't know of any women who have had top surgery like i know of women who have had breast reductions but that's not what i want like i just i really want these things gone um and he was the first person to ask me well do you think you're trans um and i think in that moment when i was really directly asked about my gender identity was the first time that i ever really sat there and thought about it and was like, yeah, you know what? I think I am. This is more than about expression. This is more than just how I want to be viewed by the world, but how I actually really feel internally. Um, and uh, from there, it was a very, very quick succession. Once I had that realization, it was just like such a huge relief aha moments weight was lifted all of the cliches just felt like so much better i could take a breath um and i i think within a week had told all of my friends and was like i only want you to use he him pronouns when you're referring to me and had my top surgery booked you know three months later and um it was Amazing. Um, you're quite a quick. You're quite a quick start. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you just jumped in. Once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. Might as well just get it done with. Yes. I mean, I. It was. Ugh, it, it was such an amazing experience, and I think. I mean, part of me wonders, like, did I know sooner than that, and just hadn't really allowed myself to go there to voice it. And then once it was really presented to me in a really concrete way, like it, it was sort of like I gave myself permission to fully feel, um, and realize that. And then I started thinking about, you know, my childhood and all of these experiences that I had, you know, when I was wanting to shop in the boys department and tuck my hair in my baseball cap and, you know, all of those pieces, like, Oh, that probably was more than just about expression it was about you know who i was and i just i didn't know that there was kind of that option or opportunity to to be that um but then even early on in my transition and, and even now I, I i still find myself struggling with well do i look masculine enough and i feel like it's only been within probably the past year and a half that I've given myself a little more freedom to have my gender expression not just strictly be masculine to wear things that are from the women's department or um put on 
lipstick or, you know, different pieces that I think early on in my transition, I was so fearful that any expression of femininity would discount my masculinity, that polarization that we were talking about before. Yeah, it's that extreme that all men are navigating, which is that if I express anything that's feminine, it means something, it, it means that I am less of a man. Right. And I totally understand that fear and have had my own journeys with figuring out the exploration of ma- things that are traditionally considered feminine versus masculine. And, and gender identity has never been the issue that I've had to work on. I've definitely always felt male and felt very at home in my body. Mm-hmm. And yet, even without that piece, how how much pressure is put on us to act a certain way and to reject certain ways of showing up. And I can only imagine when the gender identity piece is added onto it and the body looks a certain way <laughs> that's different <laughs> than what the traditional masculine archetypes are for men. Right. And I think especially when faced early on in transition with all of those external messaging of like, well, if you're going to be a man, then be a man. Then like, you really have to go like a hundred percent in that direction. Um, and I think I internalized a, a lot of those messages from family, from media, from, you know, other trans people who had internalized those messages and then were passing them off to me. And yeah, it feels so much better now to, to realize that I don't just have to be 100% masculine. Um, there's still the struggle and there's still the, the fear, but slowly but surely working on it. I think that's so interesting and it's so true to my experience that the sort of control piece around gender expression and and what masculinity is doesn't just come from the heterosexual world or the cisgender world. It comes from deep within the queer world, too, because mm-hmm. we've all been raised with these archetypes of masculinity, of what it means to be a man, and there's still unresolved trauma in there for all of us, too, and we control each other just as much as the outside world does sometimes. Right. And I, I, I see it all the time in gay male culture about how important it is to look a certain way. And I think especially as we, as our sort of what's out there in pop culture, as we started to see more of the like superhero bodies, we have this sort of like unending striving to get to that. And that's the ideal of masculinity. And it's so actually impossible for most of us. <laughs> right. And yet, and yet how much we shame each other or how much you see mm-hmm. on dating apps, no, no femmes or right. any rejection of anything that was what we were told as, as children not to be. Exactly. You know, we're just, these messages are so unending. It's everywhere we look. And I think that that pressure can be so overwhelming. Um, it's, it's hard not to, to fall into those patterns and to fall into those, um, well, if I've been policed in that way, then I'm going to police someone else in that way. And, um, I think we do it without even thinking about it a lot of times. I, I, I have to believe that for a lot of us, it's not, I don't, it, it's, it doesn't come from nowhere, right? It's all of those, um, those harms that have been put onto us that sometimes it, I don't know. I think we think that it'll feel good if other people feel the same as we do or have had to experience the same pressures. Um, but clearly it's not working. Yeah, it's like a false in- empowerment thing. It's like mm-hmm. I don't feel very powerful or I feel marginalized. And so in order for me to feel uh, that, to get that hit of power that I need, I have to marginalize somebody else in order to make them create that hierarchical structure that makes me feel okay mm-hmm. for a moment. Right. And yet I, I know all of us don't actually, it doesn't last, that empowerment feeling. It's false. It's not real. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that's something I'm really passionate about in the work that I'm doing is 
actually think we as queer men could play a really amazing and cool role within defining masculinity. I think in many ways, because of the freedoms that we've had to had, like, because we've come out, because we've already, in some people's eyes, failed, we've had more freedom to explore our own identities. Mm-hmm. And if we can move some of that shame and trauma that's there in our communities, that's embedded within us, we actually could be beautiful frequency holders of the new masculine. Absolutely. I think, I mean, I am the oldest of, I have seven younger siblings, and um, which is a lot. Um, but the youngest uh one of my brothers is 10. Um, and I think being able to model for him these, these different ways of, of being masculine. And, um, it's, it's been really cool to see him pick up on those pieces. And, you know, I was chatting with him the other day about his best friend who had moved away, I think over a year ago now. Um, so I was chatting with him on the phone. I'm like, oh, have you talked with Benjamin? He's like, yeah, we talk about once a week. I was like, oh, what do you talk about? He's like, oh, we just talk about life. And, you know, sometimes he sends me his art. <laughs> and it's just like these really, like, deep, um, you know, things where I, you know, I sit there and think, like, you're 10. What do you have to talk about? But um, <laughs> they, I think I love seeing, um, I think in young boys um, in particular, like, still there's a little bit more freedom for them to to be intimate and goofy and silly and um uh so i just i love helping to foster that and show like oh i love that you talk to your friend about that stuff and you send him art too and you know being able to celebrate those pieces of um i don't know it it um, it's really encouraging to see that and to help hopefully foster some of that to continue. Yeah, I love thinking about that, that that even just by being yourself and by showing up in the world that you in the way that you show up, there's a generation below us that has more freedom just because they've seen something new. They've seen different models. And I love the concept that boys can have friendships that are based on things other than just the activities they do together, the sports they play mm-hmm. or the shenanigans they get into, <laughs> but that yeah. they can actually share their art and be curious about each other's feelings and opinions and views on the world. Like that is really uh, warming to the heart to sort of think about that there are, there is a whole generation that is seeing new models already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's cute when I go home to visit and you know, he's like, I wanna I want you to sleep in my bed and you know, wants to cuddle and, and all of those things. I'm like, Ah, I hope that you like hold on to this. Like I just want you to be a lover. Like I want you to just like love on people and express your love and be, you know, just so freely giving of that because I think I mean, as we've been talking about in that kind of puberty stage, it, those messages start to get really harsh um, about, nope, you have to be strong and you have to be tough. And um, uh, so it, it does give me a lot of hope and encouragement uh, to see those those expressions of tenderness and care um, that I think are just so beautiful. Yeah. And I think that that tends to be the style of transformation of the masculine that I'm most comfortable with, helping model, helping be in conversation with people, helping people challenge their own belief systems. And yet what I also see that that's out there in the culture is a lot of calling out the behavior and making sure to point out toxic masculinity or things that aren't working about the masculine. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the balance between that sort of call out culture and the not having any time for or the cancel culture around that versus mm-hmm. what I also hear you valuing and, and showing up in is being willing to have the conversation, creating enough psychological safety for men to start untying some of their own traumas and being willing to try on new identities and new ways of showing up in the world for themselves. What do you think that balance? I, 
I think it's a challenge um, because I think particularly um, as someone who was socialized as a woman and has experienced um, like violence and harassment at the hands of men, um, whether that be like sexual or emotional, like I've experienced harm at the hands of men, um, particularly when I was identifying as a woman. So some of that, um, you know, I just don't have time to sit here and educate you. I don't have time to have that conversation. I'm just so exhausted of um, seeing the way that particularly men treat women in the world. Like I do have empathy and understanding for that. Like I'm not here to educate you. With that being said, um, I think particularly as a man and as someone who, um, I mean, men listen to other men more than they do women. Um, we live in a patriarchal culture. Um, if I say the same thing that a woman says, like I will be paid attention to more. So I think I feel a sense of responsibility. Um, and I feel a sense of empowerment in that to own that privilege and that space. And just be able to um, have really frank and direct conversations with men and be received differently um, than if I had been a woman. Um, so I feel like I, with that, have now a little more patience and empathy and understanding to sit through some of those challenging conversations. Um especially to take some of that weight and burden off of women who I know are disproportionately affected by it. Yeah, I think that something that you're pointing out that is such an important piece is that piece of privilege that we as men do have privilege and that we do have a greater influence um, than those who have been impacted mostly by toxic masculinity and by behaviors that don't work. The thing that I keep bumping up against in my own exploration is, is that it doesn't actually feel like a very safe place for anybody, like this world. <laughs> Masculinity as in its current forms isn't really good on the individual. It's not right. good on the relationships with other men. It's not good on relationships with women. It's not really good on relationships even with this planet. The current way mm -hmm. of holding masculinity is not a very sustainable way of being. Right. And I think there is such an importance in the anger that's present in many of these conversations around toxic masculinity. And yet there are other spaces. And I think that's the kind of where I want to hold in this podcast is to be able to use my privilege um, to poke at this, to, mm -hmm. dis to disrupt old models, to have the conversations, to ask men to grow up a little bit. Right. To evolve into the next iteration. It's okay that that, I mean, it's not okay, but in many ways we have to come to peace with it has existed in the past. It doesn't have to be our future though. Right. Um, I think I mentioned this earlier, but I think where I find hope is that I, I think men have capacity for so much more and to be so much better. And I think focusing on that piece of, um, I know you can do better and I believe in you and I trust that you want to be a positive influence in this world. And I know that you hopefully want to make this world a better place. Like I believe that you have the capacity to do that. And I think approaching it from that angle of, you know, still maintaining accountability and maintaining like, Oh, you really like I don't appreciate that thing that you said or that way the way that you interacted with that person you know there was some masculinity showing up that I don't think was very healthy but I believe and trust that you um you can get there and that you have the capacity to do more um I think there's a space where um I see more receptiveness and more um willingness to to lean into that discomfort and grow yeah that's so important that's exactly what it is it's being willing to call it out but it's also not disengaging from the relationship 
you actually mm-hmm. lean in a little bit more in that sort of challenge of, I know you can do better. I know you want to do better. I know that you want to do right by people. Mm-hmm. And I need to just, it's important to me to point out the pieces that aren't working, but I know who you are at your heart and where you want to be. I think that is such an important piece that we as men can do together. And I think sort of the theme of this podcast, which is let's grow up together. Let's point out where our unresolved traumas and our unmet needs from the past are still dictating some of our behavior. And that doesn't mean that I'm going to go away from you or that I'm leaving this conversation. There is a mm-hmm. certain member of the population that may be unreachable, that does, right. that, a, that a, a disconnection of the relationship is what's required. Right. I don't, I, I want to believe and I have to believe in a world that that's not the majority though. I would agree. I think we as a society spend a lot of time, um, <laughs> focused on the fringe, on the really, really far extremes. Um, and I think um, there are a lot of men out there who who want to be doing the work and who want to be contributing in positive ways. Um, and I think it's um, when you feel demonized or when you feel like, oh, well, I guess there's just no point or I don't know who to turn to to try to learn and figure out how to be better, then we're not going to get anywhere. Um, I agree that there's definitely a segment of the population that I don't have the time or capacity to to reach out to. And I think, um, you know, that's okay. Um, but I think there are a lot of men out there who do have really good hearts um, and just haven't had an opportunity to develop language or skills um, to show up in healthier ways. So if you were going to give a piece of advice to men as a way of closing this, what would it be? I would say listen to women, pay attention to women, um, and help explore the feminine aspects of who you are. Um, I think women hold so much wisdom and I think men oftentimes aren't tuned into that wisdom (laughs) and I think women have a lot of powerful things to say um so opening your heart to um different ways of being and doing um I think will benefit all of us yeah there is so much wisdom out there and assuming that men are the ones that know the answers to it all is not gonna has not gotten us where we need to go so if people are interested in connecting with you um uh, beyond this interview is there any way that they could connect with you out in the social media world yeah um i will say that i'm a terrible millennial and i'm not the most active on social media but i do have an Instagram and a Facebook. I have not yet figured out Twitter. Um, but yes, Instagram and Facebook, I should be pretty easy to find if you just search Taylor Briggs. I would be happy to connect with anyone. Um, and also to share more resources and education around what it means to be trans. Um, I think as we were talking about earlier, there's just not a lot of, um, it's just kind of hard to find what resources are good resources to really learn more about the trans community. And I'm always happy to help folks um, do some of that learning if they're, if they're interested. Yeah. That's a piece of you that we haven't really talked about is the wealth of information and knowledge you have access to around resources and supporting communities, underserved communities. Um, And so thank you for, offering that to the listeners of this podcast. Something I really admire about you that I've seen in this conversation, but also seen in just as our friendship has developed is your, well, you may not feel it all the time, how you show up in the world in a way that isn't asking for permission to exist. You're not afraid to claim a little bit of space or to own who you are and to explore your identity and not need it to fit into a box and it's super um, inspiring to me um, because I still have my places where I am afraid to show up in the world or where the shame controls me and I ask for permission so 
thank you for being one of those men in the world that is embodying the new masculine, but is also doing it in a way that's not just in the privacy of your home, but that you're actually out there in the world taking up space. Well, I appreciate that. It is a journey and it is not uh, perfect, but I think um, if we all try, a lot of progress can be made. Yeah. Well, if anybody wants to continue this conversation in a one-on-one coaching or to explore uh, workshops that I'm hosting around these kinds of topics, you can visit my website at travisstock.com. That's T-R-A-V-I-S-S-T-O-C-K.com. You can also connect with me on social media. Uh, my Instagram handle is travers03, T-R-A-V-E-R-S-0-3, or you can search for me on Facebook. 